Time to Shift is a podcast that aims to inform on energy and climate-related affairs with the intent to contribute to a low-carbon economy. Hey, I get it. You've told me a billion times. Yes, we need to reduce our emissions. But honestly, what for? I've got nothing to do with all this mess. It's not like if I change my personal habit and start peeing in a shower, then I'm going to change the world. Why should I make sacrifices when they won't make a difference in the end? I see what you mean, but it's still important. You see, right? Don't you? Damn, it's really not that hard. Could he just eat a little less meat? I mean, a little less than twice a day? Maybe not take the car for everything? Even though he just takes it to go a few kilometers away? It's crazy. I mean, his behavior is just not rational. He knows all the facts, but doesn't change anything. I think he himself doesn't even know why he ignores what he knows. Does this scene sound familiar to you? If so, Bienvenue. You have come to the right place. This is Christina speaking, and today we are also lucky to have Laure with us. Hi everyone, it's a pleasure to be here. In this episode, we're going to rack our brains, literally. We will discuss a report from the shifters called How to Influence the People in Our Lives to Adopt Low-Carbon Behaviors. The Shifters are a group of volunteers supporting the Shift Project, a think tank working towards building a low-carbon economy. The report we'll be discussing is backed by scientific research and seeks to understand how we come, we find it psychologically hard to change. The link to the report is in the episode description. Are you ready to take a tour of our brain? Fasten your seatbelt and bon voyage! Earlier this year, we published an episode examining the potential for individual actions to reduce our carbon footprint. These behaviors range from small changes in our behavior to lifestyle overhauls. We concluded that, just with changing our individual behaviors, we could reasonably achieve a 20% reduction in our own carbon footprint. However, it can be challenging to consistently behave in line with our convictions and values. It can also be equally difficult and even painful to see how we act contrary to our convictions. Today, we'll talk about the limits of information and education in effectively changing our behaviors for the better. And here is a quick overview of what we will be looking at in today's episode. First, we need to understand how our brain works. Second, we'll see that our behavior is actually dictated by a representation of the world, and this can be influenced by individuals and groups. Third, we'll discuss how we can change behavior by changing mindsets and by using the power of relationships. And finally, we'll give a little recipe with tips and tricks to consider when influencing others and ourselves to adopt low-carbon behaviors. First, we need a brief introduction to cognitive psychology in order to understand how our brain works. Christina, would you do the honors? Sure, sure, Loch. In order to live normally, our brain must make sense of our physical and social environment. Human cognition is thus based on two major processes. First, we have the analysis of information, and second, the harmonization of representations. 
So the first process of information analysis looks like this. At any point in time, we are bombarded with information coming from all of our senses. Our brain understands this information by sorting it into categories according to the context. Consciously analyzing all the information we receive would be overwhelming and simply draining. So our brain has automated a lot of this sorting work. When we drive a car, for example, we react extremely quickly to lots of information. Most of it doesn't require us to think. We see the brake lights of a car in front of us turn on. We know that the car is braking. We slow down and downshift without even thinking about it. Driving is just one example, but this phenomenon of automated analysis of our reality is always on. Over time, our brain accumulates a database of patterns, thus allowing us to instinctively adopt appropriate behaviors in various situations, like when we make friends at school, or when we flirt, or when we go to a job interview. Is there a rational phenomenon behind all of this, Loch? Yes, there is. This is the second cognition process we will discuss, which consists of harmonizing our representations of the world. This is particularly important because it is what helps us to understand each other as individuals. Even though we have our own personalities, values, and unique relationships to reality, we are able to coordinate this representation of the world with others. This is where the power of culture comes in. We need a common set of patterns to be able to understand each other, to exchange ideas, to assess the intentions of others, and even to anticipate their potential reactions. Yeah, it is on the basis of these common patterns that we build our reality. For instance, the Inuit peoples of northern Canada can easily find their bearings on the ice sheet, just like Parisians or Londoners can find theirs in the underground metro. Did you know that even the perception of time varies from culture to culture? In fact, Native Americans in the United States do not have a unified system of time at all, and time flows differently for each individual. And for Westerners, the idea of a universal time only appeared with the invention of the train. Before that, city clocks were not in sync, and countryside folk lived according to the rhythm of the sun and the moon. To sum up, the harmonization of our representations of the world can help to orchestrate formidable societal changes. What we consider to be our reality is in fact a social and individual construction that allows us to navigate our environment and to inform our actions. Okay, so now we have some more background on how the brain works. This second part of the episode is on how we create these representations. We'll start with the individual level, and then we'll talk about what happens in a group. At the individual level, to free up brain space to accommodate for our daily thoughts, the human brain creates these automatic patterns. However, as we are hardly aware of them, we can become biased. We need the world around us to make sense. When we are confronted with new information that upsets these automatic patterns, our brain either ignores it, or finds a way to make it more acceptable. We call this the confirmation bias. For example, 
If someone has made the automatic pattern the earth is flat, then they ignore people who say the earth is round and find it very difficult to understand their arguments. For people who are climate skeptics, this pushes them to climate inaction. However, for people who do believe in the importance of climate change, then this process can also push their actions to be more aligned with their beliefs. To build on to what you just said, Christina, commenting on one's behavior has a direct influence on the said behavior. For example, if someone is repeatedly told they are clumsy, they will think of themselves as clumsy and, as a consequence, they will become clumsier over time. This is what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy, a phenomenon observed scientifically. The more one is told something as a general truth, the more it becomes true. And there are plenty of other examples, right, Christina? Yes, probably more than I could count. One of them is the perpetuation of gender stereotypes. When we tell girls that they are delicate and boys that they should not cry, we reinforce these behaviors in children. Another one is the perpetuation of social class norms. When children of less privileged circumstances are told they are more gifted for hands-on studies rather than for theoretical studies, we influence how they perceive themselves and hence their behaviors. Okay, so now that we know how vulnerable to biases we are at the individual level, let us look at the cognitive influence of group behavior. The patterns that build our relationship to reality are collective. The social group we belong to has a considerable influence on our behavior. We know, for example, how difficult it is to quit smoking when surrounded by smokers. This is what we call behavioral mimicry, also known as the influence effect. The influence effect is particularly relevant when discussing global warming. An individual has a much better chance of adopting virtual behaviors if those around him or her have already adopted them. You're right, Laure. Everyone believes that they are free and rational people. But the truth is much more complex than that. We are the product of our environment and everything that goes with it, like our desires and our contradictions. These are reflexes, beliefs, but also biases that are the foundation of our behavior. The third part of this episode is on how to create a new environmentally friendly mindset. We have two assets available to us. First, the strength of our imagination. And second, the strength of relationships, which help us to reinforce this new and improved representation of reality. The first thing to keep in mind when we want to adopt more eco-friendly behavior is that giving advice to someone who is not already sensitive to the issue has very little effect. Facts only make sense if we are ready to see or hear them. Starting a debate on plant-based diets with our uncle who only swears by beef stew will have little effect. A beef stew without beef just doesn't make you want to eat it. And it doesn't make much sense even for a vegetarian. We must therefore take into account the strength of our human imagination. The same words can mean different things to two individuals who do not have the same sensitivity, the same level information, or who are just not in the same situation. Where it gets tricky is that our thought patterns 
can differ from one person to another. When we talk about the need to reduce air travel, it is not just a question of travel modalities. It interferes with the idea that we can travel far, quickly, and easily. In turn, this idea is intertwined with others, such as the association we make between traveling to the other side of the world with the notions of happiness or even success. For instance, one may believe that they deserve their exotic holidays because they've worked hard all year long. One can also believe that aviation is a growing sector, providing jobs that must be preserved at all costs. When a belief is shaken up, others are affected as well. The more beliefs will be questioned, the greater the resistance to change there will be. Resistance to change is a natural phenomenon. No need to get stuck on it or try to fight it. It's better to just accept it. Above all, let's remember that reason and rationality have very little to do with behavioral changes. So long, well-argumented lectures usually don't help. The study by the shifters has revealed that, rather than confronting each other on a theoretical level, it's best to find ways to act together and to engage in joint actions. For example, let's invite Mr. Biff Stew for dinner and let him discover for himself a delicious vegetarian dish to which we have the secret. This pleasant experience will most certainly lay the foundation for an, a productive discussion. Bonus points if we reveal after the dinner that he has just devoured a meat-free meal. Bon appétit! If we feel that ecology is a slippery subject, or if we are afraid of being labeled as a tree hugger or an eco-freak, we can adopt a different angle. For example, if our uncle is very athletic, let's talk to him about the benefits of a plant-based diet on physical performance. This idea is to use our imagination to relate ecological activities to things that we enjoy and are interested in. We thus create a new representation of reality that is desirable and ecological. The first step in the process of change is to expand people's embedded social representations. As well as using the power of imagination, the shifter study also shows that relationships have a strong influence on whether our behavior changes. The method is based essentially on the so-called commitment technique which involves carrying out a small action, together, to promote the adoption of more regular actions. Co-action is fundamental. If we convince someone to join a back repair shop or a collective garden with us, this group will be much more effective in training and driving change in habits than a one-off confrontational discussion. The relationships with a group and the mindsets that we develop make up the invisible infrastructure that pave the way for change. It is not because we cannot see this infrastructure that it does not contribute to our reality, just like our physical building infrastructure does. No economic, political or military power can compete with a change of ideas, summarizes American engineer and author Willis Harmon. By deliberately changing their image of reality, people are changing the world. Okay, all right, that was quite a lot of information. We talked about confirmation bias, the influence effect, commitment technique, 
Let's take a step back and see how this can be applied to our day-to-day lives. This last part of the episode is a little recipe of tips and tricks on how to adopt low-carbon behaviors. Preheat your mental oven and mix the following ingredients. First, be clear on who you want to encourage to change their behaviors. It is important that you understand where that person is coming from and what is important to them, so that you can tailor your approach accordingly. For example, if someone is social, we could relate having a vegetarian meal to just having an enjoyable night out with friends. We also should be mindful of the power of the group. It is better to maybe approach one or two people at a time on a one-on-one basis and then progressively expand to other individuals in that group. Think of the domino effect here. Likewise, we may consider starting with people we are not so close to. The stronger the relationship, for example with your family and lifelong friends, the harder it can be to change existing beliefs and biases. It is sometimes easier to influence people around us where we haven't forged yet such a strong relationship say, your neighbors, your colleagues, or even your friend's goldfish. Second, make sure that your objectives are reasonable and achievable. Favor actions over words. Experiences are extremely powerful in the process of change. The emotions involved will be much stronger and more effective than listening to any moralizing speech. Be patient and flexible. Change is not a linear process, but rather a spiral one, with relapses and disencouragement along the way. Despite all good advice, perhaps some people just will never change, and that's how it is. The goal is simply to facilitate a shift in perspectives. If an approach doesn't work, try tackling something else, and you may always come back to it later. Use relationships to reinforce commitments and co-act. It could be as simple as biking together to work, joining a repair club, cooking a delicious vegetarian meal, going on a holiday without flying, or even joining a climate protest. Laure, what's our third ingredient? Be in the right state of mind to be a helpful guide. That means being calm and self-confident, and being in a mental place that is free of expectations and judgment. Ideally, we should listen more than we speak, be curious about what the other person has to say, and also be mindful of our own body language. It also means being knowledgeable and having some degree of experience or credibility. For example, if we want to help someone switch to an ethical bank, it is better to have already gone through the process ourselves or in any case, to be able to answer their questions in order to avoid getting lost in administrative work. The more we master our subject, the more our approach is sincere and natural, and the more our loved ones will want to embark on the process. Christina, what's the icing on the cake? Fourth and finally, put all chances on your side by creating a supportive environment. The more pleasant the situation is, the more likely a positive response will be. If you have inspiring stories, now is the time to share and listen to them. Don't hesitate to include like-minded people as part of the process, as they will normalize the sustainable behaviors you are trying to catch on. 
If you are surrounded by people who regularly go for a walk in the forest, this will become normal and everyone will want to naturally blend in. And finally, value and reinforce the positive. Changing our habits is an effort in itself. Our part is to make obvious the well-being and benefits of this new habit and be there to encourage ourselves and others along the way. Recognizing and rewarding positive behaviors can be really effective to reinforce them. That's it for a summary of the report. Adopting more low-carbon behaviors means having to relearn many things. How to run a company, what to eat, where to get supplies, how to get around, how to consume, and so on. A bit like moving to a new country with its own culture. This is where relationships play a strong role. Change is always an unsledding experience, and we need each other to navigate it. Building new experiences in line with our values is the key to lasting change. Ultimately, what determines our ability to bring about profound change is not so much the quality of the message, or even the messenger, but the connections, images, feelings, and memories that we manage to create together. This podcast was produced by The Shifters, volunteers supporting The Shift Project. The Shift Project is a think tank advocating the shift to a post-carbon economy. Stay tuned for more Shift!